Yes. Yeah, book. Uh, are book. you recording? Yeah. Are you getting are you getting waves? You get nice waveforms. Yep. Oh like and wavy. Nice. Say something really loud right now. Uh really loud? Right. Good. I don't even think you're feeding back into the mic, which is glorious. What I'm doing right now, I have my shitty old Plantronics headset with mic, and I've also got a set of uh, skull candy earbuds that I've jammed in my ears, and then I put the headset over those earbuds to try and prevent the feedback. Ah, I hate skull candy. Really? Uh, I I can't. Yeah. I mean, what makes it bad? I don't know. I've just. I tend to go for Sennheiser headphones, but those okay. are like the expensive kinds. Yeah, I just wanted to spend 30 bucks because I was in Ashland, Kentucky, and I wanted earbuds, and I was leaving for Europe the next day. Ah. Uh, so it's like, you know, I don't have time to order something on Amazon or go to a larger city. I'm in Ashland, Kentucky, and they have Skull Candy, and it is under 40 bucks, so I'm buying it. I guess it works. Yeah, when you're in Kentucky, you just... You do whatever makes sense. I, I try to stay out of Kentucky. Uh, yeah, that's advisable. Though your favorite bakery is in yeah, Kentucky. I, I need to go there, just just for that. Yeah. Alright, so, book club back from the dead. Uh, it is now February. We're recording for the January book uh, 2013. It's been a long damn time. I don't even know why it's 2013. Uh, nothing makes sense to me anymore. Uh, anyway, January's book was Jacob's suggestion here, uh, Good Omens by Guyman and Pratchett. Uh, I'm at a sincere disadvantage when talking about this book because I've read one other Neil Gaiman book and I've read absolutely nothing else from Terry Pratchett. So uh, I don't know, maybe... Maybe I didn't get the full enjoyment out of the book, and I certainly can't make cross-references to all their other stuff. So hopefully you can fill in those gaps for me and make this something that someone actually wants to listen to. I'm actually, like, similar. I've read some of Gaiman's uh, comic stuff. I've read, um, I think, one of one or two of his other books, and I really haven't read much of Pratchett. Hmm. Have you read any other Pratchett? I've read... I started reading... Uh, Color of Magic, uh, okay. but I haven't finished it yet. Okay. Well, uh, I guess, why did you recommend the book? Because uh, I'd already started reading it, and I liked it. So it was, just, it was convenience. You were like, ah, I don't, uh, whatever, these guys, I don't give a damn if they like it. I'm, I'm in the middle of it, I'm going to suggest it. Yeah. It gives okay. me a reason to actually finish it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you did, because, uh, Unlike the evil guest where I didn't seem to even understand what was happening in that book, uh, I got to feel less like a retard with this book because I read it and I feel like I understood basically everything. And it was a really fun read and I had a good time with it and that's all that mattered. Yeah. I don't think anybody understands an evil guest. Yeah, probably actually Gene Wolfe doesn't understand it. He wrote it in some sort of ether haze and woke up the next day and he's like, son of a bitch, where did this come from? <laughs> That's like everything Gene Wolfe writes. He was seized by the spirit of mathematics. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, so this is a much more straightforward book uh, for people who are not familiar with the basic plot. 
Uh, ages and ages ago, one of the only semi-accurate books of prophecy was written down by an old witch called Agnes Nutter. And at that uh, point, she predicts everything that's going to happen up to the apocalypse. Flash forward into the future, and you've got Aleister Crowley and, uh, and Aziraphale, the angel, running around as agents of hell and heaven, respectively. Does fulfilling their parts in setting up the apocalypse and then dealing with the fallout as things go terribly, terribly wrong. Did they say his name's Alistair Crowley? I think they call him something else. Because uh, I remember it was when his car was on fire and they used his full name. All right. uh, and it, Yeah, it was something else. It was also with an A, but it wasn't uh, Alistair. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure he was inspired, or at least the name comes from Aleister Crowley, but I wasn't sure if they'd actually called him that in the book at all. Yeah, they use an A starting first name, but it's not Aleister, it's something else. I just refer to him as Aleister Crowley because it's obvious they're making an Aleister Crowley reference. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so this is the beginning of the end, and humanity is at its final moments Heaven and hell are poised to wage war against one another, and these authors are putting jokes in footnotes. <laughs> so, it's it's more or less what you would expect from two people who don't always take everything seriously, even when it's the most serious stuff, uh, writing a book about the end of all of existence. Now, I actually think there were two versions of this book. There was one, like the British version, I don't think had the footnotes. Yeah, they had to explain... For American readers, a lot of the in-jokes that Britons would just naturally get, uh, yeah, because the American editor said, no one will understand this, no one's going to buy it, you have to help explain all this to us. So, yeah, I I just really enjoyed the book. It's, uh, I, I feel like I don't have that much to say about it, because it it's not flawed in major ways it doesn't take itself seriously so it doesn't lend itself to like lampooning style humor it's just a really enjoyable fun book it is i i will say there are points which felt like it dragged a little but Hmm. that was like the only problem i had with it what were the points that you thought drug a bit Uh, someone posted it on the forums that part in the middle where like crowley and alice Aziraphale aren't in there at all. In the, yeah. And there are other points, like towards the end, it, I just felt like it took longer than it needed to uh, reach the climax. Yeah, at first I was really frustrated by the part near the end with the the neighborhood watch self-appointed guy who writes all the letters uh, to the editor of all the different newspapers complaining about the ills of society. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, at first I was like, man, you guys what a cock tease because we're like we're right up to climax and then you throw cold water on me with this but it actually like halfway through that as they kept dragging that out more and more and it became more and more absurd I was like yeah this is really really funny uh, so the key thing to know about the book is that it is very much hilarious um, they, yep. they use absurd circumstances and this very specialized setting of the end of the world 
to just make fun of absolutely everything that they either don't like or that they observe in the world. Character types, uh, religious uh, history and iconography and whatever else, it's all made fun of. But there were actually a couple points that actually kind of surprised me. Like um, when Aziraphale didn't have a body and he was in America, they actually make Mm. a point that uh, that one preacher guy actually thought he was doing good. He wasn't like trying to scam people. I'm like, I was not expecting that. Yeah, they did give like some redeeming qualities to the guy, even though he was obviously scum. Yeah, uh, you know, slapping the ass of his what ex stripper, supermodel, assistant or whatever. It's yeah, he he's got the Protestant religious fervor. It's sort of a miserable uh, character type, but they did give him that bit of redemption. Yeah, I, I was not expecting that. Uh, yeah, and they overall they were kinder to religion. They didn't really take the time to just eviscerate it directly. They weren't rude about it. I think the most important commentary on religion in the book comes right at the end. Uh, and at that point, and obviously spoilers for the whole podcast, because what are you listening to? Does Fast Karate ever not spoil things? This is this is kind of the, the thing. So if you're listening to this, by extension... The book club stuff will always be straight spoilers. Um, near the end, the apocalypse has been averted because the Antichrist, as an 11-year-old boy, says, this isn't right, I don't like this, and remakes uh, time and space and whatever to reflect what he thinks it ought to be, sort of. Uh, the resolution's actually quite good, but at that point, there's the Metatron, the voice of God, who's saying... Well, you know, you can't go against the great plan. And Aziraphale, the angel, steps up and says, Ah, you know, great, I thought it was the ineffable plan. And he said, well, great, it's, uh, sure, sure. No, 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 like, it's really important, Metatron, for you to answer. Is this the ineffable plan or is this the great plan? Because there's a significant difference in terminology. And he and Crowley and the Metatron get into this argument about the, the verbiage used to describe God's plan for the universe. And, uh, and that I thought was great where it's like, you know, maybe none of these things, beings know what's going on. Maybe God himself has no idea what's even happening. Presume the Christian God exists. Maybe he's just really good at marketing. And that's why everyone thinks he knows things. It's, it's kind of an interesting take on that. So I think, um, a couple pages after that, when they're at the duck pond, eating mm-hmm. the ducks, and um, they're even talking like, "Well, maybe this it was supposed to happen like this. Maybe that right. was all the the plan." So it's sort of this: not even the angels or demons know what the actual plan is. Only God Himself. Yeah, and so it's interesting because maybe God has a one up on everybody because apparently He just grins at you when you ask a question and doesn't answer you. Uh, or maybe he has no idea, and the book leaves that kind of open. Yeah. And I think that's a neat approach to it, where it's not like, oh, well, these religious forces are malevolent, because you can go on, like, I don't know, I'm sure something awful or Reddit or something, and find uh, threads upon threads of recently godless libertarians spewing religious vitriol and whatever. And frankly, if you want a good iteration of that, you could just go watch Christopher Hitchens' videos. Uh, 
but this avoids the easy uh, criticism of just directly attacking religion as it manifests on the planet or Christianity in particular and the character of God and it just opens up a whole bunch of questions and says man what if maybe maybe nobody knows maybe everything's a plan maybe nothing's a plan who knows just just live live and and try to be a decent person essentially uh and enjoy your life yeah i could see that coming from the book i mean they yeah. also i also like that they point out that you know humans are actually worse and than the demons and better than the uh than the angels yeah it's true uh if there were a scale from good to evil the demons would be like three quarters on the evil side, angels would be three quarters on the good side, and humanity's the full spectrum. So that was kind of cool. Uh, that Crowley at some points would say, like, oh, you know, I I didn't do that. They did it themselves. You give them the idea, and they just they do things with it you never could have thought of. Yeah, I mean, even Crowley's not really evil. And, and that's another good part of the book. I like the the buddy cop kind of rapport with Aziraphale and Crowley. Uh, I, I think that works best, and I so I do agree generally with you and uh, the other commenter on the forums about, eh, kind of sucks when they disappear, because it does. Yeah. Uh, their banter back and forth and the ability to make jokes about history uh, and elements of church history and the supernatural and the present day all together with this rapport that they naturally have, I thought it was very well done, and so I missed that when it was absent. Yeah, and, I mean, everyone can use some Queen references in there. Yes, constant Queen references, which is is pretty good. Uh, And and I like that uh, they made a point of noting, uh, obviously this book was written like 30 years ago, so, uh, you know, it's it's got some age on it, but (laughs) Crowley's music device of choice is the cassette player, and so any vehicle that he enters because he expects that it will have a cassette player and it must always have a cassette player. <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird, goofy stuff like that that I just, I don't know, I appreciate it. I like the way that, that they play with language and thought and expectation. Uh, it's it's just, again, it's fun as hell. I, I feel like that's the, the lamest and most inarticulate attempt at describing anything but really it is. It's just fun. And the joy is in the experience. Discussing it is is less fun and less enlightening for people uh, it, than just going to the source and, and getting that good stuff, uh, as perhaps the B-52s might say. Um, you know, as opposed to like Heidegger, where you would beg someone to read it and tell you what it means, as short as possible, preferably. Um you know, but this this is just a joy to go through. It's fun, but yeah, as you said, you actually get stuff from it. I mean, like the some actually really good philosophical theological arguments. Yeah, you run into uh, criticisms about things like witch burning, obviously. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Inquisition. Uh, all of those things <laughs> come up in the book. Uh, it's really well handled, I think, because uh, it's just very delicate commentary here and there, and then they move right along, and, and it's mixed in with some witty banter. Uh, but I, 
I loved the Inquisition. <laughs> the Inquisition was great. Uh, Another thing that I enjoyed, I guess, was the uh, the old names from the the Witchfinder group. Uh, Thou shalt not commit <laughs> adultery, Pulsifer, or whatever. Uh, and what was pretty, it like? Everyone good. on the ledger, like at one point, was just named the exact same thing. Yeah, because the old man was the last surviving active member uh, before the Newt character joins up. He wanted to keep getting that money from the crown. Uh, essentially, heaven and hell were paying him both at the same time, uh, but it was through a royal charter. And so he just kept inventing members all named Smith. Yes! He ran out of imagination and decided, ah, screw it. That was a good old character, where like, at one point he wakes up, I think maybe it was after the uh, the apocalypse was averted, he wakes up and he's like, something was desperately wrong. I'm not smoking a cigarette. And pulls out a cigarette and lights it. Ah, everything's better. So, it, they did a good job, I guess, we've been saying it without saying it, but they did a really good job of fleshing out these actual believable characters that you can see. You can really feel like you know them. Uh, it's not a brief sketch. Even like the pastor character that, that we mentioned uh, in America gets enough detail on his edges that you can really kind of see the contours of this man. You feel like these are really well-developed individuals at all times. Uh, and so it's it's impressive that they maintain that sort of quality consistently for the characters in the book. Yeah, I mean, like, that one American pastor is only in it for, like, what, four or five pages? Very briefly. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I was consistently impressed by the quality of the character development and design uh, in this. Normally you talk about character design in context as some artist uh, drawing one, but in this case, these artists are drawing them with words and they're doing it expertly. And, and Catherine is approaching right now with a bottle of champagne trying to make as little noise as possible. And a comment that character development is one of the most important uh, things that you can do as an author to make a story not only semi-believable, but also enjoyable. Huh? I feel like that's not irreverent enough for this podcast. Uh, I mean, have I been irreverent? I'm not drunk. I'm not yelling. Well, you will be soon. Uh, you will be very soon. It's, unless you put me a sippy straw in the champagne bottle, it will not be enough. The other half is for me. <laughs> well, you're not drunk? Hmm. This might be a first on the uh, podcast. Yeah, typically, typically I have a little more in me by now than this. Uh, that's probably why this is going to be like the most boring podcast ever, as I just ramble uh, soberly and coherently about things. Uh, no one tunes in for that. Uh, so, hey, let's let's sidetrack because I like to sidetrack. Uh, why the hell didn't you move into my house? Um, mainly because the drive it would be to work. Right now I'm like a 10 minute drive to work from your house. It'd be like a 35, 40 minute drive and I'd be driving there like four or five times a week. Uh, you know, I mean, you could just you could quit your job and 
I'm going to wait till I get on at um, one of the labs at OSU. Yeah, labs at OSU. You could have lived in Old Town. Everybody there is on some form of government assistance, except Kyle, who is just a magical unicorn of a man. And uh, You could do all sorts of studies in Old Town, Jacob. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, by studies, I think she means having sex with people. I'm not really exactly certain. But you don't have to write about them. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, okay, so it, that, whatever. I just wanted to harangue you about the, about the moving. So, bye, Jacob, or hello. Bye. Hello, and bye, I guess. She's now stalking off to the kitchen because I pointed, <laughs> which precipitated such stalking. Uh, Is this anyway. where uh, we insert jokes about women in the kitchen? Uh, we could. We could, yeah. To, uh, get harassed on the pot, on the uh, forums for being misogynists. And I'm I'm everything misogynist. <laughs> I I hate everything and everyone. Because we don't get enough of that on forums. Uh I don't think so. Uh you know, I think really when I post this the the thread that it goes in should basically be devoted to talking about rape and rape culture. Uh <laughs> Because I just I don't think it comes up often enough, and and I never take the bait, and I never I never discuss it with people, and certainly never play devil's advocate, and yeah, so uh, that's probably a good recommendation. Sweet Jesus, don't actually follow it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Good Omens is 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 book. It's a good book by two guys who are good authors. Did you read American Gods? Most of American Gods. What did you think about that, and how do you compare it to this book? I really liked it. Um, like, I like the whole concept of, you know, the gods just, you know, wandering around America, and the whole idea that their power comes from being worshipped and by creating the concept of a god, that god exists. There's a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, I, I haven't read it for years. The, when I read it, I was going to, I think, I was going to New York City for the first time by Greyhound. And so it's like a 17-hour trip that time because our bus broke down. It was a mess. So I got to read the whole book getting out there. And uh, I see some parallels with this book in terms of... And I don't know how to tie in Pratchett, so I apologize, Pratchett fans. Uh, I'm really only able to relate to one other Gaiman novel, so that's what I'm going to do. Playing with these big ideas, the concepts of religions and deities that span centuries and pulling those down into the present day and making them more directly explicable, making them feel even more real than a religion already does. Uh, I feel like the Christianity in this book is much more real and understandable and sensible than the Christianity that actually exists in our world. Uh... So it's it's interesting that they can take those ideas, uh, I don't know what the word is, concrete them, I guess, and uh, and just make them something that they can play with in these different contexts. Uh, and so you see that at play in American Gods, where you take all sorts of ancient mythological figures and bring it in. Uh, you've got to have some understanding of the mythological backdrop some of the stories are relevant, some of the histories are relevant, and then you can bring that into the modern era and play with those ideas. And that's 
in a very Christian limited sort of sense what they did uh, with, with Good Omens as well which I just I don't know I thought it was well executed I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff yeah and I think Gaiman did some of that in um, Sandman now that's what I've always heard about but I've never actually read I highly recommend it, it it's really good what's it about um well Morpheus the uh, god of sleep or god of dreams um, in the very beginning, he gets captured by humans, stuff goes awry, he escapes, and it's just really good. I, um, I mean, it, it's hard to explain because there's multiple arcs to the story. Now, is this a, a graphic novel? It's a series of graphic novels. It was originally a uh, comic series um, by DC, then Vertigo, I think. Okay. Or maybe it was always published by Vertigo. I don't know. To the Wicketrons. <laughs> Sandman, Gaiman, published by Vertigo, uh, published by DC Comics. Yeah, well, Vertigo is part of DC. I don't know these things. I haven't read comics since I was, like, in the eighth grade, and I was reading The Spectacular Spider-Man when they reissued it, uh, starting with issue zero, which I still have, when Ben Parker, the replacement... Uh, or Ben Riley, I take that back. Ben Riley took over as the replacement for Spider-Man because Peter Parker was supposedly a dying clone. <laughs> and then the clone saga happened and I decided that fuck comics, fuck them forever. Um, and that's kind of where I left it. I don't know. I recommend Sandman. There's this great issue where um, William Shakespeare puts on um, A Midsummer Night's Dream for the Bay. Uh, hmm. That was a pretty good one. Let's see. One of the few graphic novels ever to be in the New York Times bestseller list, along with Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns. So, yeah, uh, I'll have to check that out at some point. Uh, since this is not about Sandman, let's see what the Wicketrons say about Good Omens, <laughs> which uh, came out, I guess, in 1990. Uh, all right. Uh, nothing, nothing great. Nothing great. Pretty boring. Thanks, Wikipedia, for failing miserably at spicing up this podcast because I was really hoping. I wonder if the talk page has anything relevant. Possible sequel. Is the death in Good Omens the same as death in the Discworld, or are they both just based on the same death that is based on the traditional view of the personal death in the West? (laughs) The latter. Although there are some similarities, on account of both having been written by Terry Pratchett, there are two different takes in the Grim Reaper archetype, though not the same character. Well, I think that would depend on the way in which you would want to interpret the book, unless Pratchett and Gaiman made some sort of definite statement about the matter. Forming opinions on the matter is fair game for all. Naturally, I would see the Grim Reaper as more a different take on the Discworld death, rather than the archetypal Western personification of death. As is mentioned in the article, the good omen's death identifies himself as Azrael, the Islamic angel of death. He's therefore an entity apart from the Discworld's Reaper. And seeing that Azrael appears in Reaper Man as a distinct figure from death, we can be pretty sure those two are separate characters. That is why I never go on the talk page on Wikipedia. Yeah, uh... Holy shit, this is miserable. I... Oh, oh, I can feel my soul ebbing away. I made that mistake once on um, some of the math pages, on this one math page. And I'm just like, no, never again. Yeah, I just... Uh... Wouldn't it make more sense to display all versions of the book's cover? Yeah, why not? I mean, it's not like Wikipedia's always asking for uh, 
posting money. So, I mean, I, they have the money to you know, post all those pictures. This article has been rated as C-class on the project's <laughs> quality scale. Glad to know. I, I'd hate to see something lower than that. I think F-class is the new Star Trek movies talk page. Oh, Where it's like God. Star Trek Into Darkness or whatever. And there was a whole, I think it was like 16-page uh, discussion on their talk page. My friend sent it to me from Columbus uh, about whether or not the word into should be capitalized or not. This is where we pour our human energy, and this is why we are able to be worse than demons, because we can spend 16-plus pages on the internet discussing whether or not a preposition in a Star Trek movie title should or shouldn't be capitalized, because really, who gives a fuck? That was my response to it. Yeah. Yeah, it it hurts me deep down on a level that I cannot explain with words. I, I can only explain it really with blood. It's the uh, sort of thing, when you hear about that, you just want to walk up to a brick wall and just repeatedly hit your head against it. I want to walk up to a brick wall, lift it with my bare hands intact, and then beat to death all of the authors of those talk items. I just, I can't take it. Uh, my rage overflows, and and I wish I had a flaming sword and large wings. Can I have a flaming sword and large wings? I can't help you with that. Then what good are you? I, I can get you some of those, like, Victoria's Secret wings. Ooh, now that, that's pretty sexy. Yeah. I'm gonna, can, can you get those uh, Victoria's Secret angel wings? I, I might want some of those as well. Oh my god. Oh, oh my god. Come on, Pinterest, why aren't you loading <laughs> shitty website and I hate you? Ever wonder where the Victoria's Secret Angels get their wings? Well, now you can have your own set of wings to walk the catwalk in. What are you waiting for? Go pick up your own. And then I see big tittied lady, like basically F cup just covering the nipples with her hands wearing a set of lacy wings. Uh, that's, I mean, I guess that's one way to sell things, except if you're buying the wings, probably I would guess you're, you're a lady or you're gay. And in neither case to the gigantic breasts work as a marketing tactic. So why why is she naked? Maybe guys buying them for their wives? If... <sighs> you know, man, if, if you buy... If you buy your girlfriend, if you buy your wife, you buy your fiancé a pair of fluffy angel wings and it is anything other than a hilarious joke, you are about to be single. Yeah. I was just wondering if you could, like, put these on and walk around naked. <laughs> I just... I just... I think it's pretty hot when people have wings. Get out! I mean, unless they're dressing up as, you know, hot girl. The guy is dressing up as hot girl? Because I think that'd be cool. I was gonna say the girl, but yeah, I'm fine with that as well. Man, now I got a new recommendation for all the guys I know who do drag. Well, just... <laughs> you gotta get them the angel wings. Actually, I kind of want to do this now. You could do drag. <laughs> you and Kyle ought to enter a drag show together. I bet you would do good. <laughs> Wait, so me as hot girl, him as... I would think Gruff Sailor. <laughs> he could have one of those, like, fine point Sharpie marker uh, polka dot beards. 
and, and, and a pipe. I think this would work very well. Yes. We need to do this. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll have to orchestrate this, and, uh, and it's going to happen. And it's going to happen at AWOL in Columbus. Everybody, get ready. And there will be pictures for the forums. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that would be good. Or to blackmail me. Or both. I don't know. I don't know what else there is. I'm I'm running I'm running dry. I'm low. Low on fuel, low on intellectual fuel, low on alcohol. It's one of those books that's hard to talk about cuz you know don't want to ruin it. I mean, and and we've clearly already ruined the plot points for people, but I don't know that that was ever a huge consideration anyway. I mean, the Plot's less important than the jokes, I would say. Pretty much. And so I I don't want to repeat those, because one, you're ruining it for people, and two, I can't do them justice. Yeah. So, I mean... I I won't even pretend. I would rather talk about Victoria's Secret, Angel Wings, and creepy dude touched himself while his lady walks around in him, and trying to spin that into something that's funny when probably it actually isn't ever funny, and I'm just trying way too hard. I would rather do that than try to relate the jokes in this book because it would just, I, I would never be able to do it right. Yeah. I'd rather people enjoy the book. And it, it is really enjoyable. And it's, it's what, a pure delight. About 400 pages. Not too long. Yeah, just under 400. I think with the author's commentaries at the end, it runs about 380 something. Yeah. 386 or thereabouts. So, I mean, you should read it if yeah. you haven't. Yeah, I think anybody who hasn't read it uh, would, would benefit from doing so because it's wonderful. It's it's delightful. It's a quick read. You just breeze right through it. The language is inviting and simple. Uh, the wordplay is fun, but it's not like it's dense. Uh, you know, it's not like that one book that that shall not be mentioned that, that starts out with, with the sentence, That was when I saw the pendulum. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about. I'm not the, even uh, going back to Gene Wolfe. No, I'm going David back to David Forrester Wallace. Oh, David Foster Wallace. Okay, yeah, that 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 book is not impenetrable. That book is punishment. That book was written by him to hurt us. <laughs> He's like, you know, if I'm going to kill myself, I have to leave a legacy, a legacy of pain and torment. I still need to read it because I don't believe it. Because I I read Pale King and I absolutely loved it. You know, that- maybe maybe I'll pick up Pale King. You read. Uh, Oblivion, and we'll compare notes. I don't know. Uh, all I know is is that reading Oblivion was okay. I've I've passed a lot of kidney stones in my life. That book was worse. Now, I also have um, Infinite Jest around here somewhere, which is this like one thousand page novel. Yeah. About... No, uh, yeah. Do you know you met Jimmy Kyle's brother Jimmy? Yeah. His ex-girlfriend from several years ago once became infatuated by Infinite Jest and would read, like, three pages a day. Um, And so it took her a couple of years or something to get through it. Um, But so she would bring it up, though, in every conversation. So I heard about Infinite Jest on about a weekly basis for two years. It was interminable. Um, Almost... uh, you know, the eponymous infinite. Uh, but it wasn't funny, so it doesn't quite fit. Uh, it was just sort of sort of sad and, and tiring. Uh, wearying, even. Uh, 
I don't know if I could make it through the infinite chest. I don't think I could make it through the first chapter, assuming it's even divided discreetly into chapters. I sort of am assuming it is, but who knows? Because Foster Wallace maybe wrote the whole book backwards, and instead of chapters, he inserts, like, pictures of whales and ponies, and they have some sort of allegorical meaning that only he understands, and it's it's about, like, how you save a human soul from itself while living in a Tibetan wilderness trying to also make a commentary on Western consumerism and the plight of the working poor. I would read that book. Why not? Anthropomorphic whale allegory. It's what I want. It's what I demand. Whale pony allegory. Yeah, whale pony. Whale ponies. It's like a centaur, except it's a whale. A pony. A wony. Because <laughs> I got a portmanteau eyes, everything. So, okay, that's it. I'm out. I'm fresh out. I'm done. I dug to the deepest core of my being, and I'm out of things. All I can do now is look at my inbox and see if I have inspiration, and there isn't any because I don't get podcast-related emails, because uh, why would I? Uh, all I have is that it's official. CISPA is back, and you should probably sign a petition to stop it, because seems like that's real bad business. Uh, that's it. That's all I have. Uh, go read that Cop Killer Guy's manifesto, because that is also good reading. He might be a crazed murderer, but holy shit, he is really funny. So, at least funnier than Dennis Miller who he credits as being funny. I think this guy's better. Is that all we got? I think that's all we got.